Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash Show. Our hopes were up for Georgia 6, and we didn't make it. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? No way to slice it. No way to spin it. A loss is a loss. Coming close. Doesn't matter. Big, big loss in Georgia 6, and a big win for Donald Trump, unfortunately. Good to see you today on this Wednesday, June 21. Uh, We'll dissect it. We'll talk about it. We'll figure out where we go from here with all of you. Thanks for climbing on board here on this uh, disappointing Wednesday as we take a look not only there but also in South Carolina uh, at two special elections yesterday and then bring you up to date also on what's going on here in Washington, D.C., where the Mitch McConnell Express keeps uh, hurtling down the tracks with a health care bill that still, still nobody has seen, uh, but they hope to ram through Uh, by early next week uh, before they go in their July 4th recess. Democrats doing everything they can to slow it down or to stop it. Even some Republicans uh, a little alarmed at the speed with which they're trying to pass that bill. Uh, That's what we do here for for two hours every day on the Bill Press Show. Bring you up to date on the news and give you a chance to sound off about it. We look forward to hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show with your comments on the news of the day. Again, Wednesday, June 21, the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us. We'll get right to it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. By the way, happy summer solstice. Today is the summer solstice. Is that right? The longest day of the year is today, which used to be fun, but now the days feel like they're already longer than they used to be with Donald Trump as president. So, yeah, uh, but happy summer solstice. Uh, not a happy summer solstice for Travis Kalanick, the former chief executive of Uber. He stepped down yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Turned out that there was a shareholder revolt that essentially made it impossible for him to stay uh, on with the company. So he is out. He Good riddance. is gone. Yeah, I mean, look. He's had a lot of problems as uh, the head of Uber. And Uber itself, when you look at their board, they have a lot of problems. So I'm not totally sure where they go from here. Would you still use Uber? I don't use Uber. 
I have to say, in, in the will you use Lyft? Uh, I, I will occasionally use Lyft. Yeah. I, I've gone back to using cabs because look, Lyft and Uber are both essentially sort of scabs. You know, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think especially after the election, I've gotten to a point where it's kind of like, you know, look, with all the deregulation and anti-union bias out there, like, I, I'm happy to pay a little bit more to just take a cab. I know that's not popular for a lot of people, but... Yeah, I, now I use cabs all the time. Yeah. I, I also do use Uber. If, if I need somebody to pick me up at my house, Sure, you can't do that with a cab. But right. if I'm downtown or anywhere, if I'm out and... And there are cabs. Find I mean, me a cab. Yeah, yeah. Just grab a cab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, three-time <laughs> Oscar winner. Yeah. Really good actor. Uh, Incredible. He's 60 years old, and yesterday he announced he is retiring from acting. We have seen the last of Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, not exactly. He has uh, another movie coming out in Christmas of this year, uh, and so that'll be the last hmm. Plays a dressmaker in 1950s London. Yeah, it's an Strange untitled role. drama set in the world of high fashion. <laughs> um, but one of the best directors in the world is yeah. working on the project with him, who worked on uh, There Will Be Blood, which yeah. is one of the greatest films of all time. P.T. Anderson, Anderson yeah. is the guy that's uh, directing this movie that's coming out at Christmas with Daniel Day-Lewis, but that will be his last film. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, great actor. Absolutely. Just trying to think of the name of the one movie that he's still famous for. Well, he like he first came on the scene with uh, My Left Foot, right? Yes, that was the yes, big, big breakout right, for him. Right. But most recently, he got all this attention for uh, Lincoln. He played, he yes, played Lincoln. yes, yeah. Which was eh. It was a bad movie. I mean, he was he great. great. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. All right, on a Wednesday, June 21, uh, the morning we were looking forward to celebrating victory in Georgia 6th. Uh, Instead, uh, we hang our heads in uh, disappointment, but not despair, let's hope. What do you say, everybody? Good to see you. Wednesday, June 21, it is The uh, Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., Our studio on Capitol Hill, where everybody's attention last night was on the suburbs of Atlanta. And a Democratic chance to get back in the winning column after losing three in a row uh, didn't happen yesterday, uh, despite having more money than Democrats have ever had to spend on any congressional race in history. It is the Bill Press Show. It is Wednesday, June 21. We're with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And uh, looking at you on Free Speech TV. Also joining you on the great WCPT out in Chicago and all the suburbs of Chicago, uh, Chicago land. Don't forget, if you haven't already signed up, uh, we, we offer some very special treats, very special content. Uh, put up a special video yesterday on Patreon. It's a new service that we've joined, patreon.com. Uh, for just five bucks a month, you get exclusive uh, ec- content over and above uh, the show. Peter, that little video yesterday. Yeah, we put up uh, a video that is a conversation that I had with the director of a great new documentary called A Gray State, which 
takes a look at someone who was trying to make a movie about a coming dystopian political future that might hit a little too close to home. But uh, it's it's a very yeah. good conversation with the director, and it was executive produced by Werner Herzog, uh, who you've probably heard of. So of go check it out. All right. Yes, indeed. And coming up a little bit later in the program, Claire Foran from The Atlantic will join us uh, to talk more about uh, Georgia 6, Alexander Bolton from The Hill on what we can expect from Congress uh, on, and the Senate, particularly on health care and on the debt ceiling and on tax uh, reform, so-called tax reform, uh, maybe a little bit on infrastructure. Uh, and then Sam Berger from the Center for American Progress on the resistance and what we can all do to slow down, if not prevent Senate, the Senate from passing that health care legislation. Yeah, but let's start on Georgia 6, and there is no way to spin it, no way to slice it. Look, I have, uh, as you know, uh, I have run campaigns. I have been a candidate myself for statewide office in California. I've been chair of the California Democratic Party in politics. There ain't no such thing as coming close. This is not horseshoes where a leaner counts. You can come close, but the only thing that really counts in politics is winning, and we did not win. In Georgia's congressional sixth congressional district yesterday, uh, the finals were uh, Karen Handel, the Republican, fifty-one point nine; John Ossoff, Democratic candidate, forty-eight point four. So it was a four-point spread. Kyle Kondik, who was in here with us yesterday, said uh, that this was going to be within five points. Uh, he'd be very, very surprised if either one won. It was going to be close. Either one could have won. But he, he said neither one was going to win by more than five, and he put it. He, he called it. Uh, and, 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 you know, to me, this is sort of like um, three Ds today. Disappointment, disgust, and despair. All right? Uh, maybe no despair, but certainly disappointment. you, you got to be disappointed. John Ossoff, the Democrats around the country raised $23 million for Ossoff. Uh, he got 48% in the runoff. That was his best chance of winning. Uh, and uh, yesterday, uh, he ends up with, again, 48%. Uh, but Republicans rallied behind Karen Handel, uh, Secretary of State of Georgia, uh, and um, the former head of or former... She wasn't the head of, of that... Susan uh, Coleman. Susan Coleman Foundation, but she was one of the princi principals of it. At any rate... Um, she was a strong. She be, ended up being a strong candidate. Uh, brought got all the Republicans together and was able to pull off that win in a district uh, that everybody felt was the best chance Democrats had of any of the any of the four special elections opened up um, by uh, cabinet appointments uh, from Donald Trump, Kansas, Montana, South Carolina, uh, and Georgia. So this again, no other way to slice it. It was a loss, a loss, a loss, and a setback for Democrats who really, really badly need a win because there's nothing that shows better the strength of the resistance the, and, and as it could more motivate more people to really get excited about 2018 than a win in one of these special elections. We did not get it yesterday, uh, and uh, that's, that's the disappointment that we got to accept. At the same time, you got to recognize Two things about this district. Number one, let's not forget, it was not an e a, a sure win, certainly from the beginning. 
it was an uphill battle from the very beginning. We pointed this out yesterday. This is a district that Republicans have held since 1979. So this is no, no, this was a red district in a red state. Um, this is a district that Mitt Romney won by 23 points. Uh, a district that Tom Price, the congressman who is now the HHS secretary, uh, that Tom Price held on to uh, for years and never got less than 60 percent of the vote. Again, it's a red district in a red state, even though Donald Trump only won it by one and a half percentage points, which is what gave Democrats a hope that this was one Republican district that maybe we could flip. Uh, didn't didn't uh, again, didn't happen. Um, and I think we have to admit, uh, at least I would, it raises the question about whether we had the right candidate in that in that district. You got to ask it. I would have to say the answer is no. Uh, and uh, look, what I voted for John Ossoff in a New York second, absolutely. Um, but Ossoff was well. But let's let's put it this way: this was back to almost to the Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders. Um, question before. Who was the strongest candidate for Democrats to put up in 2016? You know, I supported Bernie and I, because I felt that Bernie had the right message and the right energy and the right focus on progressive issues, working class issues, and taking on the establishment. Uh, Donald, uh, John Ossoff chose not to do that. He didn't invite Bernie to campaign for him. Uh, he was not out there. He was not a single payer guy. He was not. He didn't even run against Donald Trump, which, I mean, early on maybe he did a little bit, but unlike Ralph Northam in Virginia, who made his whole campaign, he won the Democratic primary last week. He made his whole campaign an anti-Trump campaign. We got to send a message to Donald Trump. We got to fight back. This is a referendum on Donald Trump. John Ossoff, I believe could have made Virginia, uh, Georgia 6 a referendum on Donald Trump, and he chose not to. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a good Democrat. Uh, he's just, uh, uh, to me, uh, a more careful, more soft, more methodical, more centrist Democrat than these times demand. Uh, and if you want a little evidence of that, go a little 200 miles north to Peter's home state of South Carolina, where, okay, Democrats put $23 million into John Ossoff. They didn't put a dime yeah. into Archie Parnell. Parnell, right? Yeah. Archie Parnell. And he came within uh, almost 3,000, a little less than 3,000. He came within 2,800 votes. So close. In a arch red, 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 red congressional district. And he was a, he's a Bernie bro. And he went out there and said, got to take on Donald Trump, got to fight this establishment, and, and uh, you know, minimum wage of $15, single payer, free college for every American kid, basically took the Bernie message into South Carolina. And in that very, very conservative district, he almost won with that message and no help from the National Party. So uh, I think there's a lesson message here for Democrats that people are looking for change and they're looking for people who are going to shake things up. That's why. That's how Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. And I think that same energy, that same message, could have won in in Georgia. People were really looking, I think, for somebody stronger. 
And then also, of course, John Ossoff didn't even live in the district, which did hurt him. You, you have to remember that when we're talking about uh, the... You know, I think you got to be honest about our candidate. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have to remember that Donald Trump is president not because we saw some crazy surge in, in support for Donald Trump, right? It's not like he came on so strong that he trounced Hillary Clinton. It's that Democrats didn't really, Democrats and independents didn't really show up. And so when you look at places like Georgia or South Carolina or parts of Virginia or Florida and all of these places that have predominantly voted Republican, what are the ideas that are going to get those people to vote for a Democrat? And it's things like, Fifteen dollar minimum wage. It's things yeah. like Medicare for all. It's things like uh, single payer, right? I mean, John Ossoff wouldn't com commit to single payer. He wouldn't commit to a, the minimum wage stuff. And I mean, I know you have to have some conservative Democrats in the party if we're going to make this thing work long term, and that's fair. But you've got to be able to run on democratic ideals and not be so goddamn wishy-washy and centrist on everything. You can't be everything to everybody. And I think people make a mistake that, that, that only, they're only really like, let's say, um, West Hollywood or San Francisco or lower Manhattan where the real strong Bernie Sanders progressive message resonates. That is not true. I think Bernie Exactly. Bernie proved that that message resonates everywhere in Idaho, in Utah, right? In places that you would not expect because again people are fed up with the establishment and they want change. They they really want major major change, the kind of stuff that Bernie was talking about. At any rate, last night just to uh uh, give you a little color from uh, the evening. It was John Ossoff who told his crowd that he had called Karen Handel uh, and done the obligatory congratulations. I commended her on a hard-fought race and on her victory this evening. And Ossoff telling his crowd, at least we fought the good fight. We showed the world that in places where no one thought it was even possible to fight, we could fight. <laughs> Uh, and if any any doubt, uh, by you know the worst. Okay, here we go. The worst part of this for me is that Donald Trump is going to crow about this and brag about this until his dying day. I mean, this he will seize this as an affirmation of everything he's done. It's going to be this. In fact, he's already been tweeting about it. He was tweeting at midnight last night about it. Uh, this this proves that the American people love me. They love everything I'm doing. This is an affirmation of everything we've done so far. It shows how successful we are. Ra 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 ra. Donald Trump and by the way, Karen Handel, who ignored Donald Trump during the campaign, sadly, so did John Ossoff. But Karen Handel, who distanced her, distanced herself from Donald Trump last night. She takes off the mask, baby. She is Donald Trump's. She's going to be a automatic vote for anything Trump wants. A special thanks to the president of the United States of America. And why was the crowd there last night? Were they there for Karen Handel? Hell no. Here they are. Trump, 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 Trump. 
Good God. Trump, 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 Trump. That's what it was all about. Yeah. Again, which is why John Ossoff should have made Donald Trump, 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 yeah. his message. Stop Donald Trump. It starts right here in Georgia's six. So disappointment, yes, disgust to a certain extent because uh, Democrats, I think, once again, miss the opportunity to run a strong, progressive candidate. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, we ought to have strong, Bernie-type progressive candidates in every single congressional race in pardon me, in the country, period. That message sells. That message resonates. That's the right message for rebuilding the Democratic Party nationwide. Read Bernie's book, Our Revolution. It's all laid out there, and it's hard to disagree with. But despair? No, not despair. Look, we've been down before. I've lost elections before. We've all lost elections before. We gotta, we gotta keep our heads. We gotta remember, uh, this was a very tough district to win. The best of the best of the four, but still very tough to win. This was a red district in a red state. We didn't have the best candidate, and as I pointed out yesterday, uh, looking ahead to twenty eighteen. Charlie Cook knows the congressional districts inside and out better than anybody of the Cook Report over at the Atlantic. Reported a couple of days ago that, uh, don't get too excited, he said, about Georgia's six. There are 71, 71 congressional districts held today by Republicans that are more positive, more the poten- a greater potential for Democrats to win than Georgia's six. So when you look at 2018, those are the districts Democrats have to focus on. Those are the districts where they need the right candidate, again, a progressive candidate with the right message, but we have a better chance in those districts. So 2018 is still within our grasp, and we really got to start working like hell on that. Uh, by the way, you want to join in on the conversation, you can on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP show. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Come on, tell us what you think. DeRay Luther says uh, it is worth remembering that the two seats tonight that are both uh, won by Republicans were won by GOP candidates seven months ago by 23.4 points and 20.5 points. So gains were definitely made. Uh, TTN, go ahead. I just got to say that that is absolutely true. Yeah, sure. Absolutely true. I mean, the I I know, and and I know a lot of people are going to be saying that today. Look how close, but but look how close we came. (laughs) But you know, I still got to point out, close doesn't count in politics. True. Uh, TTN says this is insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again. You can't raise enough money. Go progressive, or go home. Also adds Nancy Pelosi should step down. Wake up. Paul Sorrentino says the Democratic candidate sucked. It's pretty simple, Bill. <laughs> when, we, when we asked what went wrong, they just yeah, said, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, and uh, one of the person says uh, progressives don't want to vote unless they get their own way. Conservatives will always put party over country. Which is, I mean, that is an interesting point. I mean, Republicans will suck it up and vote for a bad candidate. Whereas Democrats will look at a bad candidate and a lot of times just say, I can't vote for that person. Uh, yeah, I uh, I find it hard to disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, no. Uh, it It is something in the DNA of uh, right-wingers and progressives or Democrats and Republicans that uh, that we've fought with and I've experienced uh, many, many times in my in my political 
uh, my, my days in politics, um, they will turn. Look, you, you know there are a lot of Republicans who did not want Donald Trump as a nominee, yeah, right. who could not stand him. But we saw them, and we saw them come out and say they were still going to vote for him, even though they knew how dangerous he was uh, if he were to ever get in the White House, and that's proven to be true. And you know what? We see the same thing with these cowardly Republicans in the Senate today. You know, they're, you know they, that Donald Trump is their not, not, not their kind of guy. No. He's not the face of the Republican Party that they want, but they'll vote for it. They'll support him. They'll Party vote for him. Party over country. Yeah. They'll let, him, country. they'll let him fire the FBI director and not make a big fuss about it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, it, on and on and on. So that proves true at the local level. When in elections, and I, you know, let, let's face it, that's a little uh, something that we got to reflect on, that if we're not 100% crazy about the kind of Democrat who ends up running, um, we'll maybe stay home or not write a check, right? Yeah. All, or, again, not vote at all. And the Republicans, they'll be out there 100%. Uh, Charlie Pierce uh, from uh, Esquire Politics Writer, I think, summed this up. He said, note to too many people on my timeline, Handel was not overly popular with Georgia Republicans, but they didn't do purity tests. They just voted for her. Yeah, right. That's what it comes down to for them. So uh, my take on that, too, is um, I, I, I don't think we should do the purity test. But I also think we should have a better we should we should have a better Both candidate. Of those things can be true. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, and I I think Ossoff again was too cautious, too careful. And by the way, I'm sure he was told by some of the national establishment candidates, no, 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 no. You're from a Republican conservative district, so you have to be a Dino almost Democrat in name only conservative. Democrat in order to win in that kind of a district. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I still think Bernie Sanders could have gone in that district and lit that district on fire. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, Ossoff did not even invite Bernie to come in. Um, big mistake. Yeah. Uh, she did not invite Donald Trump to come in. She was smart not to, but but uh, but uh, I think he he made a mistake there. So. Uh, sadly, 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 um, you know, I like, uh, this reminds me of November 9th, 2016. <laughs> some shows are easy to do. Some shows are tough. Right. Yeah. Um, we, uh, had a little briefing at the White House yesterday, by the way, uh, just on two other news items of the day before we move on and talk to Claire Foran, uh, uh, more about, more about Georgia and get more of your comments on Twitter at BP show. Um, the big question everybody wanted to ask yesterday, I was surprised that it took so long before somebody finally got the question in, was, well, what the hell are you doing here, Sean Spicer? Yesterday you had a briefing off camera. Today there was no briefing scheduled at all. And two people at the White House, uh, two sources at the White House, including Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the deputy press secretary, have said that they're auditioning and searching for a candidate to take Sean Spicer's place. Sean. Why are you, what are you doing? What's, what's your, what's the future of your job look like? Right here. Uh, so you can keep taking your selfies and selfie folks. Um. <laughs> God, what? how pathetic. Uh, I'm right here. Uh, you can still you can take your, your selfies. selfies and selfie folks. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's right. so, uh, uh, so. Yeah. So, um. 
If there are any changes, uh, we'll let you know. Right? We're always looking for ways to, to do a better job of uh, articulating the president's message and his agenda, and uh, we'll continue to have those discussions internally. When we have an announcement of a personal nature, we'll let you know. You know, now, how embarrassing for him. How embarrassing is right. So, you know, Jim. Good boy, Sean. Good boy. <laughs> Jim Acosta from uh, CNN said something the other day that uh, he's gotten a lot of flack for. I think he was absolutely right on, where he said it's getting to the point where uh, why have these briefings? First of all, uh, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we ought to cancel the briefings, but why have the briefings with Sean Spicer? Because basically, he is useless. You learn absolutely nothing. So here's a question that comes to Sean Spicer yesterday. And this has happened on other issues, many other issues. Uh, but on, on this one, okay, we know that the Russians tried to hack. They did hack into the DNC, into the RNC. They tried to hack into over a, two dozen states. They were trying to, they are hacking into our election system, trying to, influence the outcome of this election. There is no doubt that that happened. Okay. What does Donald Trump think about that? I mentioned this a couple of days ago. He hasn't yet, he, Trump, hasn't yet said this was good or this was bad. Uh, Not since last November. So we've known this since last, it was in October that the intelligence agencies reported this. So we've known it since October 2016. Legitimate question asked yesterday, does the president think the Russians hacked into our election? Here's all you could get out of Sean Spicer. Does President Trump believe that the Russian government interfered in the 2016 elections? I I think I have not sat down and talked to him about that specific thing. Obviously, we've been dealing with a lot of other issues today. I'd be glad to touch base. What? I mean, there may be no more important question, right? A foreign adversary interfering in our election, which our 17 intelligence agencies again tell us that they did in order to throw the election to Donald Trump. That was eight months ago, seven months ago, right? And Sean Spicer still, he says, has never asked the uh, the, uh, president. Uh, that question, and we get—that's the answer that we get from uh, from uh, Sean Spicer uh, on on so many on so many different issues. You know, what do you think about this? I've not had that conversation. What, like, for example, climate change? Does you asked Sean Spicer, which several people have done? Does the president believe that climate change is a hoax? He's tweeted that out. Does he believe that? And Sean Spicer's answer always is, "I haven't had that conversation with the president yet." The most imp- important issues facing the country. That's the most we get out of the briefings yesterday. So it was, um, it, it was a, it was another waste. The, uh, the former FBI director said that without a doubt the Russians. I understand. I've seen the reports. Uh, does the president share uh, those views? I, I've not sat down and asked him about a specific reaction to him. So I'd be glad to touch base and get back to you. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So, Why haven't you talked yeah. to him about that? I mean, yeah. So you learn, you learn nothing. The stupid. best thing that I got out of the briefing yesterday, and I, uh, uh, those of you who follow me on Twitter, and if you don't, why not? Um, At BP Show, go do it. You, you would have seen that uh, the White House chefs were out barbecuing yesterday. Uh, smelled good. I walked out of the briefing room, and boy, it smelled so good. And I went over, and they were, uh, uh, they were cooking up uh, beef, a little kind of nuggets of beef. I'm not sure exactly what that was for, all for, but I asked, I said, so... 
This is for the congressional picnic, which I thought was last night. It's not until Thursday. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, but they had the barbecues going yesterday, cooking cooking it up. I, I guess they put it in the freezer then, or the, I don't like, know. Three-day-old beef. <laughs> is Chris Christie coming? <laughs> Boy, uh, would you really care? Serve him beef you made three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that photo? I, I, I did, put, yeah, I, I did. Put, I didn't put it together that they were keeping it. Uh, like until Thursday. Now I said to the guys, "This this for the congressional picnic." There were uh, several chefs out there, and they had all yeah. the barbecues going. It really smelled good. It's jerky. Making <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. jerky. <laughs> Hot War- off the grill. War- <laughs> warning to to members that were going to the congressional picnic: Don't eat the beef. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Claire Foran standing by from the Atlantic. Uh, more on uh, Georgia. And, by the way, more on that big surprise up in South Carolina. Damn, we could have won that one. We'll be right back. There's efficiencies, duplicity. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we are now on uh, Wednesday, June 21. Hello, hello, hello. Um, the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. CNN reporting that the uh, special counsel, Robert Mueller, met with House Intelligence Committee's uh, members of the House Intelligence Committee last evening. Uh, behind closed doors, uh, obviously. Very interesting as to what they may have talked about. I wonder if they got into the issue of tapes and whether or not uh, there are any White House tapes. Uh, We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, been sponsors of our program for many, many years under under President Terry O'Sullivan. We salute the members, men and women of the Laborers Union, and thank them for their support. Claire Foran is the associate editor of The Atlantic, uh, up early in the studio with us today. Hi, Claire. It's nice to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So what do you think the – let's just speculate on what Robert Mueller might have had to tell the House Intelligence (laughs) Committee members yesterday. Oh, well, I mean, I, you know, I have no idea, but, you know, I imagine they're trying to work through – I mean, it seems like the biggest thing with his kind of interaction with the – with Congress is figuring out, you know, how they can both kind of proceed, but without being in each other's lanes as as they've talked about. So, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when he was initially appointed, there was some speculation on the Hill that it might kind of make what was happening in Congress go dark a bit. I think Senator Lindsey Graham kind of suggested that like, oh, now that he's appointed, he won't want us to, but you know, that didn't stop the Comey hearing from going forward. So, Uh, yeah. And I believe that he has met with members of the Senate Intelligence Committee, mm-hmm. uh, and they have clarified that there are there's a role for both. Yeah, that the Senate Intelligence Committee hearings will proceed, or yeah. investigation will proceed. I'm sure that he was doing that on the House side last yeah, that's night what as I well. Imagine. But don't you think one of the first questions on the members for the members of the committee will be, are you or are you not, or well? Is Donald Trump or is he not the subject of investigation? Are you exploring obstruction of justice? 
Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, I think, I, I mean, you know, if I recall correctly, I mean, wasn't the news that broke that he was under investigation after Mueller had met with the Senate and it seemed like it had probably been a leak from Congress, which, right. you know, of course, Trump right. allies want to make it seem like it's a leak from the special counsel. But, yeah. you know, no. Congress has always been the leakiest. Sure. And, you know, there's so many members. And so I would imagine that question is probably yeah. on their minds. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm sure they got uh, they pushed to get confirmation of that last night. So you've been doing a lot of reporting on uh, Georgia's sixth. Uh, were you surprised at the outcome, and what were the factors that that played? Uh, um, I mean, I really, I really thought it could go either way. I think there was probably late last week. I feel like polls were still sort of showing, like the real clear politics average. I think was showing Ossoff up, so I think that had created a sense um, that you know he really might might pull it out. And of course, it, it was such it a was close race very, and it was it, always even, possible. Even those polls were very close, maybe yeah. two points at the yeah, most. Yeah, it was always a really, really slight edge. But then it looks like the race did tighten um, at the end. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we were talking a little bit about the South Carolina race. And actually, I think it's interesting to view what happened in South Carolina and what happened in Georgia as kind of in kind of split screen. And, you know, in South Carolina, the Democrat so that was Archie Parnell, who ran against Republican Ralph Norman. He lost, but he came a lot closer than had been um, sort of expected. It wasn't expected to be a tight race at all, which is why nobody was paying attention. No one was really investing in the race. No, um, the DCCC didn't put any money in there at all. I think that they they might have done some investment into some kind of get out the vote, but like funneling through the state parties. But it was obviously extremely minimal compared to what was right, being spent right. in Georgia. But I actually think that... Um, so, so you know, Democrats spent a lot, really paid a lot of attention in Georgia, came up short, didn't spend a lot and pay attention in South Carolina, still came up short, but by a lot uh, closer than expected. And I actually wonder if, you know, and this is based somewhat on my reporting and talking to some of the Republican activists that were working to get out the vote on the other side in Georgia, if, you know, in Georgia, you had this situation where the race had just become so highly nationalized. And as much as that energized Democrats, I think it energized Republicans, too. We had really high turnout in Georgia. And a key distinction with South Carolina was really low. And both of them are Republican districts. And ultimately, you know, I think what that shows is the constant there is Democrats are energized. They're going to come out and they're going to vote even in conservative districts. But when you have, you know, Georgia was such a unique situation of really this one race to focus on so much energy and attention. I think that really motivated Republicans. I was talking to um, Debbie Dooley, who is this Atlanta Tea Party founder. She was talking about her get out the vote. And she said, when I knock on doors, Republicans really, really are aware of this election because of all the advertising. I mean, it was a barrage of ads in the district. And she said, you know, they're motivated to knock down. You know, there is cognizant of the idea that Democrats want to send a message as Democrats are and they're motivated and energized by it. I don't think that happened in South Carolina um, because there wasn't attention paid to it and we did see Democrats still energized. So I think looking ahead to 2018, you know, there's going to be so many races that obviously there'll be a lot of attention on 2018, but there'll be so many races happening at once. There won't mm. be the same opportunity, I think, for just one race like Georgia to be sort of put on a pedestal. And I think that could work to Democrats' advantage. In Georgia, there's no doubt. I mean, Karen Handel kind of ignored Donald Trump and said, and the, or she and the Republican Party message was, 
Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. John Ossoff is going to be the, you know, got this Nancy Pelosi and her San Francisco values, right? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. and, and 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 so they tied him to Nancy Pelosi. Why didn't John Ossoff tie her to, to uh, Donald Trump? Yeah, well, I think I mean Ossoff's, so they had a boogeyman, yeah. if you will, who was a boogie lady, right? Yeah. And and John Ossoff just decided based not to make it a Trump focused yeah. election. Yeah, I mean, I think Ossoff's sort of almost wishy-washiness on that in the sense that, you know, his campaign did start out with this message of make Trump furious. They kind of, when they launched the race, yeah, that was sort right. of a tagline. Yeah, yeah. But then you're right, you know, by after he won the runoff and was sort of into general election mode in after April, he really didn't talk about Trump much. And I mean, I think it sort of speaks to the Democrats just don't know yet what their Trump message is. I mean, I think there was a lot of blame after the 2016 election that there had been too much focus or, you know, he had been, you know, Clinton talked about, Clinton painted him as sort of this, you know, existential threat to the country and definitely framed her candidacy, you know, in opposition Mm -hmm. to that. That didn't work um, or, you know, maybe it worked, but it wasn't quite enough. And, and, you know, I think now Ossoff in some ways maybe was reacting kind of against that, trying to, he, I think he tried to run in some ways almost like a relentlessly positive campaign as far as like, he didn't go really negative on his opponent. He didn't get ugly in, in his attacks. Um, and I do wonder if maybe the takeaway, I saw some Democrats on Twitter, like Neera Tandon, head of the Center of American Progress. I think she tweeted something like the takeaway is when they go low and we try to go high, it doesn't work or, you know, sort of, I, I wonder if there might be less willingness from Democratic candidates to kind of be civil or... Uh, yeah. talk, talk to any Democrat these days, right? Like, they are not optimistic and hopeful. I mean, they are mad. Yeah. They're mad, they're fed up, they're confused, they're angry, they're still sort of bewildered at what happened in November. I mean, if you want to run as a Democratic candidate, you really sort of need to figure out how to harness that anger and give those people that are angry something to get excited about. And a wishy-washy answer on every single policy issue is not going to move the needle. It's just not. If you're asking a candidate, where do you stand on minimum wage, and you go off on a five-minute explanation as to why $15 an hour minimum wage is not going to work for the country, you're not going to harness that anger and rage that Democrats have. And that, I mean, that's just simply put. And it's not anger and rage towards voters, right? Because that is another wrong takeaway that I see a lot of Democrats are saying, you know, screw the voters of Georgia. This is, you know, another redneck state that doesn't know that it's voting against their best interest. Democrats aren't giving them something to vote for. Hillary Clinton didn't mm-hmm. give them something to vote for. John Ossoff didn't give them something to vote for. Like, find yeah. something to take that anger and aggression and focus it in a positive direction, and you'll win. That's yeah, it. He really was remarkably, I mean, he was super scripted, super careful, super cautious. He was almost like this empty vessel of just sort of like, yeah. I'm going to blandly oh, no. continue. No. No. I'm a blanket flow. Democrat. Yeah, yeah. no. Absolutely. To suit yeah. with a D behind his head. Yeah. That's it. Um, too civil, too careful, too cautious mm-hmm. uh, in my Which in, in a lot opinion. of ways doesn't feel like the right fit for the political mood of, you know, a country that wants change, a country that wants, you know, is, is sort of sick and tired of the scripted lines. And... Uh, I, I totally agree. And unfortunately, there are too many people who still believe that um, 
Well, that might work in some districts, but it wouldn't work in like Georgia 6. So mm -hmm. in Georgia 6, we have to go back to the careful, cautious, don't make playbook. any waves yeah. kind mm -hmm. of playbook, which I, I think we ought to throw away forever uh, in, in terms of rebuilding the Democratic Party. We, we were talking about this earlier. You know, Bernie's message resonated in Alaska, in Idaho, in Utah, mm -hmm. wherever he went, right? He was getting and huge crowds. And do you crowds. think that it would re resonate And also I think he would have beat Donald Trump if he were the nominee. Yeah. I mean, and, but do you think that Bernie's message would resonate in suburban? You know, Abs I mean, the thing is, absolutely. it's such an affluent district. And I do wonder, does populism, I mean, these people are so wealthy. Does that, is that a concern for them, you know? No, no. I, I don't I don't think so. Yeah. I think it I think it, it it resonates because people are just people the, people are really fed up with the, sta the politics yeah. as usual, the establishment yeah. as usual, the careful go along and look what we got. We got Donald Trump, you know. Mm -hmm. And so you don't you don't get back by just being polite and not not, not yeah. making any waves. Got to go full bore. And I think and we didn't have that we didn't have that kind of a candidate uh, in Georgia 6. I didn't pay any attention to South Carolina. I wish I'd paid more attention to South Carolina with with this Archie Parnell, whom, yeah. what I understand, was a Bernie bro, right? I mean, yeah, I mean Archie. I, I don't, don't know that Bernie so went down there campaign for him, but he was yeah, a he was a progressive candidate, and who was taking on Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think. It you know it was it really did fly under the radar, and I think I mean one thing that is kind of funny about Archie Parnell is he does have a background as he like was a former Goldman Sachs guy which is like another dynamic you've seen in the New Jersey primary where we mm -hmm. had the um mm -hmm. Phil Murphy who won that primary was also former Goldman Sachs but was also running on like he got the endorsement of the Working Families Party in his state because he had proposed things like a state run public bank and you know fully embraced $15 minimum wage um you know I think that's obviously you know I do wonder if there had been more attention on the South Carolina race. I'm sure that element of his background would have also, you know, not sat well with a lot of national Democrats. But I think I think that there's limited conclusions you can draw from South Carolina. But my big one is just that Democrats are energized everywhere. They're energized in conservative yeah, districts. Right. And if you can run candidates um, in races there without um fully activating the Republican voter base in, in those districts, then uh, I think Democrats have a good chance. All right, so looking ahead of 2018, uh, what does what we saw last night in... So so far, we've had then Kansas... Montana. Um, Montana, sorry. Georgia. And South Carolina. And South Carolina. Democrats 0 for 4, right? Yeah. What is, <laughs> <laughs> hello. Now, again... These are all red districts and red states, so let's not uh, despair. But what does that say for 2018, Democrats' chances of taking back the House? Well, I think it's – so they're over four, so obviously that's bad news for Democrats. But when you look at how they're performing compared to Clinton and um, compared to just sort of the baseline of how Republican the district is – I think all of the candidates have consistently overperformed. So they've done better than Hillary Clinton, for example, in the districts, um, which does, again, so, you know, wouldn't want to go too far with that, but it does show Democratic voters are really showing up. They're turning out, and there is a lot of enthusiasm, more so, um, it seems, than, you know, there was in 2016. Um, but, you know, they're coming up short. So I, it doesn't, you know, just because they're not winning these elections, it's still too few to 
say for sure, you know, what it means for 2018, but the fact that they are overperforming could still be consistent with a coming wave. It's not out of the question that there could still be, you know, a wave election in favor of Democrats in 2018 based on that overperformance. Um, and like I said, I also think that when you get to 2018, there'll be so many candidates running in so many races, there won't be that same chance for Republican voters to get kind of fixated on any one particular race. And midterm turnout is typically depressed compared to presidential years. The party that's out of power in the White House has an advantage going in historically. There will be a number of favors I think will be working in Democrats' favor. So it still could be consistent with a wave. But, you know, obviously it's just too soon to say and, and a lot could change and the political climate could change. I mean, if the well, they certainly seem to me they've got to have the right candidates with the right message. And part of the right message is, uh, I think, a referendum on Donald Trump. I mean, look, his popularity is 36 average, yeah. real clear politics average is 40 percent. I mean, the Democrats will never have as good an opportunity. And if they do with John Ossoff and just refuse to make Donald Trump the issue or don't talk about him or just mm-hmm. sort of say, well, we're just going to accept Donald Trump. Lose, lose, lose. I, I still, I mentioned this earlier in the in the show. Donald Trump is not some political juggernaut that has just taken over yeah, and no. swept the nation with his style of politics. People don't like him. People do not like him. Mm-hmm. It was a severe drop in Democratic turnout and, and independent turnout that made Donald Trump president. He did not lift the Republican Party to these new heights of voting, right? Mm-hmm. So if the, it was a winnable election to beat Donald Trump, and Democrats screwed it up, and any election that we have while he is president should absolutely make him the issue. He's the most unpopular president we've ever had. Yes, say even That's he true. even he agrees. He but, understands. Yeah, and couple that with the historical fact that. Um, just about every recent president, the first, like, look at what yeah, happened to their Obama. First midterm, their first midterms are usually mm-hmm. bad news yeah. for the incumbent for the incumbent yeah. party, for the president who holds whoever holds the White House. And so you got that going for you, and then you got Donald Trump. There's still a lot of promise for 2018 uh, if they don't screw it up. Well, one thing that's certainly changed, uh, Claire, um, since um, a week ago today, wasn't it? That the, yeah, no, a couple, no, not a week ago, but. Last week, at any rate, everything is what's changed in Washington mm-hmm. is the the political rhetoric is all cooled down. It's going to change forever now after the shooting in Alexandria last week, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yes think or that, no? No, no, no. My prediction is no. <laughs> yeah. um, There's I mean, a lot of talk about it, but I didn't believe it at yeah. the time. Well, actually, Georgia was kind of an interesting case study, and obviously, you know, that's a bit far afield from Washington. But things got kind of ugly in the closing days of the Georgia race particularly in connection with the um, the shooting that happened uh, in, in Virginia, the congressional baseball shooting. You had, so I'm trying to remember who it was, but it was a Republican Party chair of a neighboring Georgia district who actually told the Washington Post over the weekend, over last weekend, something like, I think this, this shooting is really going to win this election for us because people are sick and tired of this, like, something along the lines of, like, left-wing extremism, um, which, you know, he, of course, was... Uh, widely, you know, castigated and criticized for politicizing the tragedy in that way and, and well, later apologized. A, we but, played yesterday uh, a radio ad put out by yeah. a Republican PAC blaming John Ossoff for the shooting. Yeah, that was that took it to another, a whole nother level um, right. without, you know, in any way linking them with any kind of evidence. But it was just a lot of 
Yeah, so I think that's a great example of why this shooting is not going to actually make our political discourse probably better, but in some ways maybe is an indicator of, I mean, I guess I view it in sort of a, as a potential indicator of things getting worse. But wait, Ted Nugent says that he's going to soften his rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. I didn't hear about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but again, there was all this talk about now we're just going to have to, uh, you know, Lower the tone and make nice and work together and, um, you know, uh, as several pointed out, uh, and nobody said and do anything about gun safety or access Mm -hmm. to guns. But uh, all of that talk about the rhetoric we heard uh, when Gabby Giffords was shot six years ago and nothing changed. Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, well, and if things could get that ugly in Georgia in connection to it, and that's not even, you know, it didn't have anything to do with Georgia. It wasn't, it didn't, I mean, other than that, it's just a political, you know, it's a tragedy that affected, you know, politicians in Congress. But I mean, I just feel like if if it could bleed into, if it could, you know, become an an issue uh, that quickly in such a... um, you know, politic- highly politicized way in, in that race, um, you know, it doesn't seem to me like the political discourse is going to ultimately be more civil. We talk a lot about the House in 2018. Uh, what about the Senate? Well, I think there's probably been more focus on the House because the Senate, I mean, the map for Democrats in the Senate is is really tough. They're defending so many seats uh, that are in places that Trump won. So we're talking about seats like Joe Manchin, um, Claire McCaskill in Missouri. Uh, there's there's sort of a, you know, a whole group of, of Senate seats that are either in places that Trump swept through that, you know, could potentially be very difficult for those Democrats to hold on to their seat and then places where sort of not looking good. And then they only have really, I think it's like two seats that are being deemed like pickup opportunities or I think Dean Heller uh, in I think in Nevada Nevada. and then um, I think it's Jeff Flake in in Arizona maybe the other one that people are talking about Um, so it's just I mean even when I talk to people on the Hill like Senate aides you know they're not they're kind of just like we're just gonna we're trying to hold on Um, and I think the House is viewed as a better uh, opportunity to possibly retake control which yeah you know, which is interesting because it wasn't so long ago that uh, everybody was saying, well, the House, it'll never change until new district lines are drawn in mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah. You know, with 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 the radical Tea Party drawing of lines, right, um, that um, the, 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 the deck was just stacked against d- Democrats. These are districts that are the way they're drawn – even a moderate Republican can't win, let alone, yeah. let alone a Democrat. And now suddenly your people are saying chances for the House are better than for the Senate. Yeah, it is kind of surprising. And I also wonder, and I'll be looking to, you know, there's been some criticism on the left, not a lot, but I've heard, you know, some people questioning too, like, are we forget, are Democrats forgetting that um, these districts are so gerrymandered? And because Democrats also need to be, you know, there's sort of a whole other fight of taking trying to take back the, you know, the state houses and the governor's mansions that will play a potentially pivotal role in redistricting because governors usually have power of veto over new lines and state houses approve. Um, so there's sort of like two parallel efforts there. And I do, you know, so much money went into Georgia and uh, 
it'll be interesting to see if similar amounts can be kind of generated to go into the sort of state house fights, which often, of course, don't get the same national attention. Yeah, and you know, we have to. Uh, I want to have to. I want to look, look into that more because um, I, I saw something this morning where there there's been under the radar. Uh, a lot more success in some of these state legislative races for progressives, for mm-hmm. Democrats, uh, that, that nobody's talking about, where they're, they're, they're focusing on those and picking them off kind mm-hmm. of one by one. And so that's, that's really, we've talked about this a lot in the terms of that's got to be the focus of in, in governorships, state legislative races, particularly in order to influence those drawing of, drawing of uh, new, yeah. new districts mm-hmm. um, in 2020. And you know we didn't even talk, talk about 2020, by the way, yet. Well, that's all right. We've got we have, time. We have some time. We have, we have time, time for that yeah. at all. Yeah. Hey, Claire, thanks for being on top of this for us and coming in, bringing us up to date. Uh, Claire Farn from the Atlantic, theatlantic.com. And what about that top secret healthcare bill? What do we know about it? What are its chances? Alexander Bolton from the Hill steps in to bring us up to date on anything happening in Congress. Stay tuned. This for the Bill Press is Show. the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is not the kind of celebration we were hoping to have today. Big loss in Georgia's 6th Congressional District last night. Hello, everybody. On a Wednesday, June 21, welcome. Good to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. Uh, We are live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., reaching out to you wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours with the news of the day, the latest on um, Georgia's 6th, and also for that special election uh, in South Carolina. Uh, President Trump going out of town today uh, talking about uh, technology. It is Technology Week. That's uh, what they're focusing on at the White House. And the Senate is gearing up to try to uh, ram through a st- uh, the Senate version for the repeal of Obamacare, which uh, Mitch McConnell says he wants to get done before the end of the week. Democrats insisting in even some Republicans, this is all being done in secret, so it must be a bill that they are ashamed of. We'll bring you up to date on all the news, particularly from Capitol Hill, with uh, Alexander Bolton from The Hill. Uh, covers it better than anybody. Uh, Alex, good to see you. Thanks and for maybe having. longer than anybody. I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a long time. A long, <laughs> long time. I can't believe I've, I've, I've wasted my youth. <laughs> Uh, So we'll uh, catch up with uh, Alex on all the uh, news of the day. Look forward to hearing from you. Uh, So many of you already have been tweeting in what you think about uh, what happened yesterday in Georgia. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first... 
This is Alex the Full Court Press. Big headlines. Oh, yeah. Just a couple of the stories making news. Boy, I'll tell you what. Technology is a great thing until it is not. So if you have one of these cars, because there are some cars where you can get an app on your phone where you can unlock the doors or start the car from your app, right? Like you could remote starter or remote unlock situation. I can do that. Can you do that? You got an app on your phone to do that? New car. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, here's the thing. If you were to sell that car or if you were to buy a used car, one thing you have to consider is a lot of those cars can still be unlocked and started by whoever had it before you. Mm. So if you buy a used car that has that technology, there might still be someone around there with an app that can get into your car and start your car. It's something that automobile manufacturers hadn't really thought about. For some reason, that seems like a no-brainer. But this is a big problem because people have seen some of their cars go missing, and it turns out people are stealing cars because they have the same app. They have the old app. I'm going to take that car back. I just yeah, bought right. it two days ago. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, what's it the in. return policy? You didn't policy? tell me. <laughs> what's the return policy on that? Uh, by the way, how about this? July 20th. That is the date to look at because that is the parole hearing for none other than O.J. Simpson. Mm. He could get out of jail July 20th. He's been in uh, a Nevada prison for eight years. He's serving a 9- to 33-year sentence for the armed robbery and kidnapping charge that he was convicted for. Uh, he's 70 years old, and he's arguing, I've served eight years of my 9- to 33-year sentence. He's been a fairly good uh, inmate, and he wants to wants to get out. The mm. juice could be loose. You know, what I do bet, you think? I'll bet, he, I, I'll bet he gets out. I mean, he's had you know, <laughs> so many breaks so far, but I don't know. I, I haven't seen pictures of him lately. Somebody told me the other day that if you see a picture of OJ today, you won't believe it's him. The last picture I saw, the last time we saw him, he had a like a hearing in 2013. Hmm. And he had gotten really big, yeah. and he has white hair, and he doesn't look like OJ Simpson. Um, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I, I sort of... Everybody... I mean, if you haven't seen the uh, the documentary on O.J. Simpson, the ESPN, you really should watch it because it's amazing. But the fact that he was sent to a 9 to 33 year sentence for a relatively small crime, I don't know. He's got an argument. Mm-hmm. I'll bet he gets out. Let's see. July 20th. On TV and online, this is the Bill Press Show. What do you say? Here we go on a Wednesday, Wednesday, June 21. Uh, the Bill Press Show, coast to coast. We are with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and joining you on WCPT out in Chicago area. Uh, with all the news of the day, we've been spending a lot of time so far talking about Georgia's 6th Congressional District, a disappointing loss there for Democrats last night. Not the end of the world, but not what Democrats were certainly hoping for. Uh, And a a very close, surprisingly close finish for Democrat uh, Archie Parnell in South Carolina yesterday. Uh, We want to shift now to uh, what's happening here in Washington, D.C. And in the Congress, um, 
Alexander Bolton joining us from uh, The Hill, covers Congress for The Hill, drives those members of Congress crazy because he's always lying in wait as they're trying to go up the escalator to get into the uh, chamber. Um, so, Alex, yesterday I was at the uh, White House briefing, uh, and Sean Spicer uh, started out <coughs> by saying, you know, we have our uh, priorities. They are health care and tax reform uh, and uh, infrastructure. And we are making so much progress, and we are on track to getting all three of these those things done in the United States Senate. I thought that was a little maybe too rosy to be real. Are they? I mean, have we seen a health care bill? We haven't seen the Senate health care bill. We've seen the the House health care yeah, bill, which right. squeaked squeak through and has been very controversial, even in the Senate. Bunch of Senate Republicans declared it dead on arrival there and, and not going anywhere. But still, that bill is, I think, largely going to be the basis of what they try to move to the floor next week. And so, I'm surprised. But sounds like Mitch, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, is sticking to his plan to to vote on this bill next week. And I think it it may have a good chance of passing. So, it's funny that they've gone from having no accomplishments and no progress and to be flailing over the Comey investigation and all that stuff, but. If they can get this bill passed next week, I mean, that gives them a huge boost of momentum, and that's a major, major accomplishment. So, you know, m- maybe the people who have written off the, the the Trump accomplishments and the Trump agenda, you know, may have spoken too soon. But, you know, it's it's really hard to, under, it's really under, hard to figure out or predict what's going to happen with this vote. There's such a, you know, there's such rosy talk from the leadership. They're bringing it to the floor. You right. think if they're doing that, they have the votes. That's typically the way it works. But on the other hand... Um, it may be that McConnell just wants to get this thing off his plate and have it die so he can move on to tax reform, which he, which is kind of what Republicans really want to do anyway, right. more so, so than health care reform. So before we get there, so there is a bill on health care. We just haven't seen a uh, Senate bill. At least it's in the works. We haven't seen it yet. Well, th- there is there are chunks of legislative language that have been sent to the Congressional Budget Office to for them to review and, and provide a score for. And a score is essentially right. the yeah. budgetary projection. Uh, they need to do. They need to have this thing fully scored. They need to know what the cost is before they bring it to the floor because they're using right. reconciliation, the special process that allows them to circumvent the filibuster with 51 votes. But that means the legislation has to be budgetary in nature. So you need the you need the score there. So they're waiting on that. They've so they have the language that they've you know ping pong back and forth with the congressional budget office, and uh, they have given presentations in these private meetings as to you know what is in the bill, what's out of the bill, but. As far as detailed legislative language goes, that has not been shared with most members of the Republican caucus. And the Democrats are completely in the dark. They have no idea what's going right. on. And Mitch McConnell says this bill is going to be released when? He Tomorrow? Says, he says Thursday. He says Thursday there's going to be a discussion draft. And I've heard that that means that there's going to be a presentation, special presentation in the Republican conference meeting to go over you know, the, the, the bill in detail. but And will it be released so that you I, and I can read you know, it McConnell, or that Democrats can read it? McConnell said on uh, Tuesday, speaking to the press, that you know we're going to have a discussion draft on Thursday and you can take a look at it. You, referring to the, the press that was standing at his press conference. So that seems to indicate it's going to be uh, released publicly, but you know he wasn't very precise about it. It could be that this is just presented behind closed doors. They may not release the text because if they do... You know, then people are going to start picking it apart. Well, um, now, then you point out that they do need a CBO score. Um, it took three weeks, as I recall, 
for the CBO to score the House bill after the House had already passed it because of a different process. So how can they release this on Thursday and have a CBO score on Friday? Because they've been circulating these chunks of legislative text to the CBO ahead of time as they've worked it out. But they weren't final, weren't they? They were just drafts? Well, that's a really good question. And now you you raise a question in my mind. I mean, you know, have they been writing this bill all along and and kind of secretly vetting it with the CBO without telling their own members about it because they didn't want to... That's what I'm trying to get at. They didn't want an insurrection. And so, you know, that, you know, I, I mean... That's beginning to sound like what they what they did because that's a very good point you raised. Like they're vetting this before they have a final bill. Like how it, it sounds like they've already come to a decision on some things. And I think you're right actually because uh, Senator Mike Lee, conservative from Utah, he did a Facebook posting yesterday where <clears throat> he was complaining. He said, you know, I I thought I was going to be able to help write this bill. Actually, McConnell's leadership staff has written this bill behind closed doors, and we really haven't had any input. So I think. You know, what may be happening here is that there are these meetings where lawmakers are given or Senate Republican senators are given the illusion that they're actually, you know, discussing and debating what's going to be in this bill. But all the while, it's been secretly drafted. And I mean, yeah, that seems to be the only way that the CBO could have you know, signed off you know, weeks, yeah. weeks in advance. Secretly drafted. Gee, uh, the idea that anybody would move a major piece of legislation uh, without having any public hearings and without uh, everybody having a chance to read the bill. It sounds awfully familiar. Let's go back to the way back machine, maybe to December 2009. Democratic leadership worked behind closed doors, out of public view. It's being written behind closed doors without input from anyone in an effort to jam it past the, not only the Senate but the American people. There's no conversation, and no one knows what's in this bill but one senator. How about that? Chuck Grassley and Mitch McConnell and John McCain back in December 2009. Thanks to NBC for putting that together. So, uh, And by the way, uh, the idea that there were no public hearings on Obamacare, <laughs> that Obamacare, <laughs> what, what was it? 18 months that they well yeah and wrestled actually, with yeah, that the, the Democrats put out a uh, you know they they put out a, a, a graph yesterday or a chart yesterday I think there were something like 26 days of hearing 18 18 days of markup you know 270 hours of floor debate I mean it was yeah substantial I think it was something like 80 days according to their chart I, I yeah. don't have it right in front of me but yeah there was there was substantial uh, discussion of that bill now in fairness <clears throat> to Mitch McConnell um, Maybe now that Fox has dropped the fair and balanced uh, monkey ear, you can pick it up. In, 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 in fairness to Mitch McConnell, they did mark this. They marked this bill up, and they had extensive hearings, et cetera, et cetera. But then, in the end, uh, Reid did kind of draft this bill, you know, behind closed doors to get to push it over the finish line. Yes, you did have weeks and uh, weeks yeah. and weeks. But Alex, there's yeah. a big difference between right. that and releasing this bill tomorrow having the CBO score on Friday. And then Mitch McConnell says he's going to have a vote next week with zero public hearings, correct? It's going to go right to the floor. Yeah, absolutely, yes. No, I mean, no hearing, no committee, not one committee, Yes, and a bill that would impact one-fifth, one-sixth of the American economy? I mean, you know, he is, yeah, I mean, look. So will Republicans, um, does he have, he needs 50, 50 votes, assuming that Mike Pence could, could step in if yeah. needed, right? So, yeah. and you're absolutely right, Bill. If the if the roles were reversed, if Democrats were doing this, I mean, the yeah. Republicans would be screaming bloody murder on the floor. So there's hypocrisy yeah. here, no question. And Republican senators acknowledge there's hypocrisy. I mean, John McCain 
you know, uh, said yesterday uh, to reporters, he said, you know, I don't know of an American who's seen this health care bill yet. Maybe the you know, but I'm sure the Russians have hacked in and, got, and gotten most of it. That's, that's amazing. That's by John the way. McCain. That's John McCain. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and Mike Lee came out and said that like the, he hasn't seen the bill, and and he's on the committee to write this thing. Well, I mean, there are Republicans who are coming out and saying that. But, but that was Bob Corker yesterday. Bob have you Corker? seen the, the Republican health care bill? I have not. Are you? Have you? Have you? Have you? Have you seen it? But the question is. Will they rebel or will they just go along? You you know these guys. You talk to them every you know, day. You know, uh, I think they're going to go. I think, look, it's so, look, it's so, it's such a hard question to answer. Um, you know, because, you know, people say one thing before the vote and then they'll do something the opposite. I mean, I have to say, if I had to bet money right now, I think this thing passes. But, you know, just because when was the last time, you know, there's been a, a Republican insurrection in the Senate, where they've actually taken down the GOP leadership. I mean, there's there isn't a there, oh, they don't have right. the House Freedom Caucus in the Senate. In the Senate, they do yeah. in the House that you know obviously yeah. have caused problems throughout the years. But and the House is just more disorganized. But I you know I've been covering the Senate now for for a long time, and I really don't remember the GOP leadership getting flipped or on anything. And you know, no, I I don't either. I think no, I think you're right, and I think you're right about the fact that it will pass unless Democrats can stop it. But what can Democrats do to stop it? I mean, you know, Donald Trump keeps calling them obstructionists. We have this bill already if it weren't for the obstructionists in the, among the Democrats. But, I mean, Mitch McConnell's got the votes, right? And he's got I mean, d- Democrats can recruit better candidates to run for the Senate. And I think, you know, yeah. I mean— But, but not between co- now and Tuesday. Of course not. No, they, they, yeah. they needed to win that Pennsylvania Senate race. I don't know how they, how they lost that one. You know, Pat Toomey is—I mean, he's right. a guy who's—you who's, know, he's— he is on this working group. You know, he's been you know very you know forceful in his advocacy of conf- conservative views. For instance, uh, you know, capping the growth of you know Medicaid spending, which is you know which has appalled some of his fellow Republicans from you know Ohio and West Virginia, et cetera. Like, you know, the the you know you had the Democratic leadership in uh, the last election cycle, you know, lining up behind uh, uh, McGinty, who was a bad candidate. I mean, I think they should have let the process play out. I don't know. I mean, what can Democrats do? Recruit better candidates. I mean, that's the problem. You got to win at the election. Once, but in terms of uh, yeah. right now, with the votes that they've got, right, they don't have the votes to stop this in the Senate. No, because they're using budget reconciliation, which means it's a simple majority vote. Usually in the Senate, it takes sixty votes to do anything. So Repo- right. Democrats, as the minority, can block things. But this is the budget reconciliation process, and through that process, there's some rules you have to comport to. That's why the CBO score is important. But they can pass this with 50 votes. Mike Pence breaks it, so they can. So you only need 50, 50. You only need half the chamber to agree, and this thing, you know, moves on. Oh, you know, one thing I have to say, which I thought I would n- never say, is because uh, personally, uh, I just don't like the man. But you've got to give Mitch McConnell credit for being a pretty wily Senate leader. I mean, he was able to get a Supreme Court nominee. Yeah, first of all, to hold off Merrick Garland, which yeah. I think was disgusting, but he did it successfully. It worked. That strategy worked, and he was able to get um, Neil Gorsuch on the court without mm-hmm. any Democratic yeah. votes, mm-hmm. and then and and by breaking changing the rules. And now it looks like he's going to get a health care bill to repeal Obamacare mm-hmm. through without mm-hmm. one Democratic mm-hmm. vote. Mm-hmm. Finding a way to do that. I uh, wish no. Democrats had a Mitch McConnell. Yeah, right. You know, party first. No. <laughs> I mean, he's he's getting so. 
that's that's healthcare. Now on tax reform. Yeah. I I was in the uh, Rose Garden when uh, when Donald Trump uh, announced the climate change thing, and yeah. he and he talked about phenomenal progress they were making on that tax reform bill. It is moving so fast <laughs> through Congress again. And and Sean Spicer yesterday talked yeah. about. Oh, I know what he said on healthcare. Well, uh, on tax reform rather that there were two speeches today on tax reform. Paul Ryan gave a speech, and Mike Pence gave a speech on tax reform. This shows how much progress we're making on tax reform. Again. Where's the bill? No, there there is no bill. I mean, the bill that came <laughs> out was the you know the Paul Ryan proposal that it had this border adjustment tax, which there's a huge Republican rebellion against that thing. Yeah. Uh, and so I mean, they're they're kind of they're really I think back to square one because that was the revenue raiser for it. Uh, you know, right now I think they're they're having discussions. You know, is this going to be deficit neutral? Is it not going to be deficit neutral? You know, how much do we want to add to the deficit? And you know, what what is this? You know, what is this going to look like? I mean, the, from for months they've been talking about budget neutrality or deficit neutrality as far as the the tax reform package goes, with the uh, border adjustment tax collapsing. Now they're pretty much jettisoning that idea at the window, and they're you know they're they're re, they're going back to the drawing board. This was supposed to be tax reform. I don't know how much loophole closing we're really going to see. I think you know, this isn't going to be so much tax reform as it's going to be. Tax cut? Uh, it's going to be a big tax cut. I, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah. And, and and already the Republicans have changed their rhetoric on this. They've said, look, you know, when asked about what's the most important thing with tax reform, they say it's to go big and not to be, you know, not to not to worry so much about the, the budget uh, deficit, to go big, to make sure that this has a stimula- stimulative impact, the argument being that if we really stimulate the economy, that will solve our budget problems. Mm-hmm. The, right. So tax cuts for the wealthy, it's going to trickle down. And everybody's going to benefit, and the economy's going to boom, and there'll be more revenue. Yeah. Well, and the uh, argument more heard that argument before. They don't focus so much on the wealthy, but the, what they talk about is you know corporate tax reform. I mean, they talk about the you know highest corporate tax rate in the world, or one of the very highest. I mean, depends right. how you calculate it with the with the various deductions. But you know, they you know, I mean, look, there is a problem with you know U.S. companies going overseas and doing inversions, and you know they want to address that, and they feel that there's a lot of uh, pent up demand in the economy and there's a lot of pent-up investment potential, people are waiting for this tax cut to happen and that when it does, there will be a, a, a massive explosion of economics. So there is no a tax reform bill right now. Um, the, again, the way the White House talks is, as Sean Spicer said yesterday, basically, we'll have a bill by the end of the year. Is that realistic? Well, we didn't think there was a health care reform bill either. And meanwhile, the true, CBO true. is marking it up, and, yeah. and Mike Lee comes out and says, But Look, the House had already passed one. I mean, there's certainly th- yeah. there's more happened on health care well, than tax reform, it's, correct? You know, it's, it, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard, I, it's hard to know whether, you know, how much legislative drafting they've already done. I think, you know, clearly while the, the Senate uh, health care debate is going on, I mean, Paul Ryan is firing up the engine for tax reform, and he's laying the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the rhetorical groundwork for it. Um, and so to you know, and this is all being done in the House Ways and Means Committee. So to what extent they have language? I mean, they've been working on it for months. So I'm sure they they have stuff. It's hard to know though what exactly this proposal looks like. Uh, Our tax bill is moving along in Congress. There he is. Yep. And I believe it's doing very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tax bill. Great. Very, very, the tax bill that doesn't exist is going very, very, very well. That was that was from the Rose Garden the day of uh-huh. the uh, the climate change announcement. Um, a, a timeout for just a second. Um, whatever happened to the attempt 
to muzzle uh, you guys oh. last week or to herd you. Get- that was dropped like a hot potato. It was really <laughs> yeah, that really you was, know, it was it was It was Tuesday, and uh, the Senate Sergeant Arms, which is in charge of the you know running the Capitol there, uh, they told the, the the television cameras that they could not they could not chase senators in the hall, in the office buildings in the hallways, which which had always been open to them. You know, film them in the hallways, wait for them in the rotunda, the Russell rotunda as they come back from the mm-hmm. Capitol from votes. Uh, and it just it, it it caused a Twitter firestorm, and there was all this uproar, and it, it you know it was a, the term the timing for this could not have been worse while they're drafting the secret health care bill that no one <laughs> that no one <laughs> right, no one can right. see, and so it just it really was lobbing a big softball. The Democrats been like you know the, the Democrats you know the, the talking point talking points were with themselves. These guys are banning cameras at the same time that they're not holding committee hearings on this bill. This is a huge. Secrecy effort and 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 the Republicans just you know folded like a house of cards, and even I think even on their they're even putting out social media you know of of Republican senators talking to the press you know with you know taglines saying see we talked to the press and Mitch McConnell oh. later that afternoon said we run a press friendly operation and so you know they <laughs> they really bent over backwards to to make amends there so as a reporter who works in the Capitol it's good because I think it's going to put those efforts to crack down on on reporters at least on ice for another six months or or a year, perhaps. So they were really trying to, yeah, keep you away from them, right, or not even let you congregate in certain places where you always do? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, there are a lot of reporters up there. I mean, it is getting crowded, but, you know, you and sometimes when you walk through the, uh, you know, subway, the Senate subway or the Capitol subway, I mean, there there are are crowds of reporters. I've seen them, right. Yeah, and, 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 you know, senators have to, you know, make their way through it. So, you know, maybe it's a bit of a nuisance for them, but... You know, then to say, you know, to kind of create this bubble around these guys. I mean, they're supposed right. to be this people's representatives. I mean, yeah. to create this bubble around these guys, you can't, you know, you can't film them when you're asking them questions, and you can't, you know, the, the most accessible they are is when they're walking to and from votes. If you're, you know, putting reporters in pens, like at, <laughs> like at, you know, some right. of the rallies we've seen, and the election cycle. I mean, you know, Trump had his little press pen. You know, are we going to have that in the Capitol now? I mean, that that seemed to be where the direction possibly. So, but they. But they ran away from that. Yeah. All right, back to the issues. Infrastructure. Sean Spicer mentioned that yesterday. Yeah. Is there anything happening at all in infrastructure? Uh, not a whole lot. And, you know, I mean, Trump's proposal is, you know, we're talking massive privatization, you know, small, relatively small public investment, you know, leveraged multiple, multiple times by private investment. I mean, that I don't think that I don't Republicans aren't fans of that plan because it, you know, they represent rural areas. And, the, you know, that's not good for rural areas. You're not going to, you know. To get private investment point. For, sure. yeah. to get private investment for an infrastructure, you know, you need a payoff. You need tolls. You need heavy traffic. Well, in places like Alaska or mm-hmm. Idaho, right? Or you know, you name all those you know, Montana Western states, and all those. states. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. They're just you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So right. that's the reason why the big corporations are not going to go in there and and build those projects no. because they won't make money on. They're going to set up a bunch of toll rolls in in New Jersey and New York and yeah. California. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, you're right. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, and and then the other thing, I mean, I, the other thing he proposed was privatizing air traffic control. And I think I saw a headline yesterday that Republicans basically, you know, knocked that down too. Um, so, you know, that's going to be, but that's the least of their worries. I mean, they they have healthcare reform is a big lift. Um, you know, infrastructure. I'm sorry, uh, tax reform is the yeah. next thing. So, infrastructure is really an afterthought. Now, there point. is looming over this also the debt ceiling. Yeah. Which hits, there seems to be some confusion about when it hits. Well, you know, my understanding is that the, you know, the 19.8, uh, 
know, trillion dollar ceiling has already been hit and they're using extraordinary, um, mm. you know, options or extraordinary actions to kind of, you know, get around it. So, But at some point they have to vote, correct? Yeah. And I, my understanding is they thought it was going to hit later, but I think there's been some issue with, you know, the revenues haven't been as robust as, as they anticipated. I think the first quarter GDP was down. I mean, it was, it was, it was barely a blip, really. I think it was under mm-hmm. 1% initial, at least initially. So they don't, the money isn't coming in. Uh, so it, it hit sooner than later, and that's why Mnuchin is pushing for a vote. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin is pushing for a vote before the August recess. So they want a vote in the next you know, month. Before the August recess. Before the before August th- recess. So yeah. by the end of July, Mnuchin wants a vote, and he wants it on a clean debt ceiling. No, no, no monkey business. So we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, I think it, it, the part of the problem is you know you're you're juggling, you're juggling, you know, you're you're dealing with the debt ceiling before, while you haven't passed a budget yet for 2018. I mean that's been lost in the wash. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't know what the spending levels are going to be, uh, and you don't know how big this tax reform or tax cut package is going to be and how much it's going to add to the deficit. So, and maybe that's by design. Maybe they want to you know get this debt ceiling mm-hmm. off the table before they deal with these other things. Uh, all in all, what do you what do you hear from um, particularly from Republicans? I know that uh, the president had a group of them down the White House last week for yeah. lunch, I believe. Uh, are are relations con- congressional relations between or relations between the White House and Congress? Uh, you know, they weren't so good under President Obama with Democrats. Yeah. Democrats complained all the time. He uh-huh. didn't pay any attention to them. Yeah. Uh, is it better between Trump and Republicans? Or I think I think Senate Republicans just have a deep just distrust of Trump because he's so erratic. And I mean, the, we're talking about two different species of politician and people. I mean, oh, totally. You, know, you talk about the Senate Republican Caucus or conference. I mean, a lot of these guys are, you know, about as you know mainstream and and sort of you know uh respectful as protocol of protocol as anyone you know in, in the country i mean you know these are this the senate republican conference in many ways is the establishment i mean it's kind of it's the american house of lords in a way and so you know trump is <laughs> yeah. you know trump is i think that they view him as the mad king in some ways and you know yes you know they like him because he's political i mean they respect him because he's politically powerful he's the most politically powerful force in the country right now and because he can help them enact their agenda. But, God, I mean, I think these guys are, you know, he's so unpredictable, and that he really makes these guys nervous. And, you know, he's you know he comes out, calls the House bill mean. I mean, that's the latest interaction. And then says he wants the, you know, wants the House, the Senate bill to be, you know, more compassionate. But, you know, I, I don't get the sense that these guys really listen to him all that much. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure they take what he says all that seriously because he's kind of all over the place. <laughs> that I, mean, is, I mean, no, I think you're right, but that's really wild. By the way, yesterday uh, I was at the, uh, I mentioned, I think, the White House briefing, yeah, um, where he, uh, someone asked Sean Spicer about Donald Trump did say on, on one point uh, that he thought the, ho- the House bill was too mean. Yeah. Uh, yesterday on health care, now, now he has said, I think it was yesterday, he told, yeah. he told some group that, and Sean Spicer repeated that he wants the, the bill to have a heart in it. Yeah. Yeah, here he is. The president clearly wants a bill that has heart in it. <laughs> he wants a bill that has heart in it. So, <laughs> again, he's dumping on Mr. the House. Mr. Compassion. He's dumping on the House bill, which he had a, as I recall, a Rose Garden event to celebrate passage of the House bill. Yeah. Right? Right, yes. Now he's calling it mean. And Well, I mean, you know, Trump. What does that mean? He wants a bill that has a heart has heart in it. I mean, Trump is, you know, <laughs> look, 
Who knows? <laughs> yeah, Trump said a lot of things on the campaign trail that you know he, yeah. he's gone the exact opposite direction. I mean, so he was almost single payer at times know, I mean, on the campaign trail. You know, the, the amazing thing about Trump is that he can, you know, say one thing, do another, and get away with it. I mean, just because he has that force of personality, that charisma that Hillary Clinton couldn't match, uh, and a lot of you know a lot of politicians have trouble matching. So. I mean, but look at look at what you know Trump said on, you know, a variety of things. You know, not cutting Medicaid. You know, they're cutting Medicaid in this package. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what he said about you know making sure that everyone. You know, I mean his 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 comments on you know trade. He hasn't really quite backed that those up. I mean, you could go through the list of his campaign promises that you know he hasn't really, you know, I mean that he seems to have been going in a different direction since taking office. So, the question is, um, you know. When he says when he celebrates the House bill, but then calls it you know too mean, and then says that, yeah. you know, he wants to have a heart, you know, is it is he really trying to shape what this bill looks like, or is he trying to you know mold the public opinion? Uh, and I think you know he's molding public opinion. And you know, look, if this thing's going to get passed, you need the president, you know, as your lead blocker here. And so that, I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. The way I think this plays out, he'll sign whatever bill that that the House and the Senate send him. If it cuts 23 million people out of health care and cuts Medicaid and cuts, uh, you know, um, uh, pre-existing condition protection for those people, he'll say, this is a bill that has a lot of heart in it. He'll well, say it. Well, well and, and, you know, we're not going to know. He'll claim it helps a lot of people and, um, and as you say, get away with it. We're not going to, we're not really going to know the impacts either until after the re-election. Probably. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he can. Right. So he. So it's 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 not going to be his problem. It's going to be the problem for these guys who want to stay, who want to have careers beyond 2020. Like they're the ones who have to worry about, you know, what this bill means. And if it's a disaster, like Ob- Obamacare politically was for the Democrats, then the Republicans are in trouble. Right. Alex, so good to catch up with you. Thank you for taking time over here. We'll get you back to run the uh, uh, run the gauntlet again now yeah. with the senators today. Thank right. You. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm going back. Going back for more. Thanks for coming in so much, Alexander Bolton from the Hill. The Hill. And uh, when we come back, Sam Berger joins us from the Center for American Progress. They still believe that if enough of us rally, we can stop the Senate health care bill as part of the resistance. We'll find out their plans. Just uh, stay tuned. Have you seen the the Republican health care bill? I have not. Have you? Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Wednesday, June uh, 27, Wednesday, June 21, 2017. Hey, hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us here on The Bill Press Show, being part of the program. And we want to hear from you what you think about the issues uh, of the day. Uh, send us your comments uh, on uh, Twitter at BP Show. The health care bill, we are just talking with Alex Bolton about it. Republicans are secretly putting together this bill, planning on releasing it tomorrow. Nobody has seen it so far and uh, getting a CBO score by Friday and then voting on it as early as Tuesday of next week. A process uh, completely in the dark. Uh, and the Democrats uh, having a hard time slowing it down or stopping it. 
Center for American Progress, one of those organizations are out there saying this is a bad piece of legislation. It would uh, throw some 23 million people or more off of their health, the health care uh, protection that they have maybe for the first time in their lives right now. And the Center for American Progress uh, asking people to rally and uh, as part of the resistance and uh, s- stop this piece of legislation. Sam Berger Former senior health policy advisor for President Obama, now senior health policy advisor for the Center for American Progress, uh, joins us in studio with the word on what we got to do. Hi, Sam. It's good to see you. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. Really Is this still it. possible for to stop this bill? It's, it's absolutely still possible. Uh, you know, this is a terrible bill, uh, and I think that making it clear uh, to Republican senators, particularly those uh, ones who seem to be wavering a little bit on the fence, help them understand that not only is this uh, immoral to do, but it's very dangerous for their political future. Um, and so when you look at it, there are a few people that uh, seem to be on the fence. Uh, Capito from West Virginia. You have uh, Collins <clears throat> from Maine, mm-hmm. Murkowski from Alaska, uh, Ben Sass from Nebraska. And then you also have uh, some of these so-called moderates uh, like Portman, uh, Heller, uh, and Flake. So one of the things that we've actually heard is that calls have been down a little bit since uh, the House uh-huh. bill. Yeah. And I think that some <laughs> folks on the Hill are taking that as a sign that maybe there isn't the same level of opposition. And so it's incredibly important for people that care about this, care about preserving health care for themselves, for their families, for their neighbors, to make calls to their senator. And not just one call, two calls, three calls, five calls, uh, to really make it clear uh, that they care about this bill and that if their senator votes for it, then they're going to vote against him. So that's the most important thing people can do? I think the two things, one, calls. For most uh, most people, wherever they are in the country, it's making calls. There is also uh, a rally today uh, uh, at the on the Hill um, at 11 a.m. Uh, folks mm. could also show up to that. But I think the most crucial thing from now until, you know, when the bill comes up for vote is, is making calls, making your voice heard, getting that out there. I, and, and it, it's really important. I mean— you, they are actually listening to phone calls. When we have members mm-hmm. of Congress that come in, they say, like, we can't get work done because our phones are ringing off the hook, and it's all we can focus on. It's all we can think about because people are calling us and telling us how they think and how they feel. And it actually works. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason that they're doing this all in secret. It's to try and keep people from knowing what's going on, from making the calls, from showing up at town halls. That means that they understand, the leadership, Republican leadership, understands the effect that these calls can have and kind of helping uh, representatives, senators to understand just how terrible this bill is and just how much it will hurt their constituents and people across this country. So it's incredibly important and it makes a real difference. Uh, and I've done this before. Um, I, I call it so often. I know the number at 202-224-3121. That's the, main, that's the number for the main switchboard at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, and the voice comes on and asks you to put in, whether you want to talk to a House member or a Senate member, uh, put in your zip code, and they'll connect you to your senator or your uh, member of the House. But here we're focusing on the Senate right now. Um, But also, if you hit O for operator, you can get to any senator. You don't just have to call your senator. Um, I guess it's best if you call your senator, but most effective, perhaps. But Yeah, I think it's important to call and share your feelings. And obviously, if uh, your senator yeah. is in a bad place on the bill or is wavering, then that's great. But, you know, if you feel like sharing your opinions with other senators, 
Uh, Go ahead and feel free to do that, too. Right. But it, it is so important, 202-224-3121. They do keep count, as Peter pointed out. They We hear that all the time yeah. in terms of letters and particularly uh, calls right now. So this vote is expected when, Sam? Well, <laughs> it's a little bit up in the air. Uh, the last that we had heard was that we would probably actually finally see the secret bill sometime later this week. And then there would be a, a CB, CBO score from the Congressional Budget Office early next week. And then they would vote Wednesday or Thursday. Um, you know, all of this stuff is still a little bit up in the air. Obviously, I mean, we're in sort of we're through the looking glass where we have a major piece of legislation that not only have the American public not seen, Democrats not seen, most Republicans haven't seen either. And it's not really clear when they will see it. I mean, this is a crazy situation. It's going to inevitably result in an even worse bill. Um, and it reflects, you know, that they have something to hide. I mean, so people have been talking a little bit about how the House bill was terrible, but the Senate is going to fix it. Yeah. And I just ask folks to think for a yeah. second. If they were really fixing it, they would come out and show you. The House showed us, was comfortable showing us a bill that stripped health care from 23 million people in order to give over $600 billion in tax breaks to the wealthy. If the Senate won't even show us their bill, how much worse is it? Well, Chuck Schumer made that point uh, yesterday, uh, with, uh, and Bernie Sanders has made this point, too, uh, the fact that this operating uh, in, in secrecy. Here's uh, Senator Schumer. They are ashamed of the bill they are writing. If they were proud of the bill, they'd announce it. They'd have brass bands going down Main Street America saying, look at our great bill. Yeah. Good point, right? That's the reason why they're not showing it mm-hmm. to everybody and the reason why they're not holding any hearings on it. Well, I mean, then the hearings part is sort of incredible. I mean, you think about they're writing a bill and they're not talking to any doctors. They're not talking to any patient groups. They're not talking to any hospitals. They're not even talking to any insurers. So they're not talking to anyone that actually understands uh, the healthcare system or how this bill will affect it. I mean, it's sort of entirely divorced from the effects, and, and you can see the results. I mean, 20 million people losing coverage mm-hmm. in order yeah. to give tax breaks to six, uh, $600 billion in tax breaks to the wealthy, to pharmaceutical companies, to insurers. I mean, it's a just it's a terrible piece of legislation. It's an immoral piece of legislation, um, and it's not even a well-designed piece of legislation, and that, and that reflects the terrible process that, that we've seen in putting it together. So to what extent do we you, – you, you say all that. I believe it, everything we've heard, that this could end up being not a gent- gentler, kinder version of health care than the House bill, but maybe even as bad as or worse than the mm-hmm. House bill. But what do we really know? How do, how, what do we know and how do we know what is in this legislation? Or well, do we? Well, uh, we don't have any of the exact details, but we know the basic structure. I feel like people get very caught up in exactly, you know, this little part or that little part. But they've said they're taking 80 percent of the House bill. And what the House bill does is it takes away health care from over 20 million people, including $800 billion in cuts to Medicaid, which, you know, cares for the disabled, the elderly, children, in order to provide $600 billion in tax breaks to the wealthy, to insurance companies, to drug manufacturers. No one said that they're changing that. No one said, you know what, maybe we should do a bill that actually gives more people health care, or maybe we should focus on improving the health care system. What they said is we're going to take 80% of the health care bill. So you can take 80% of the $23 million and say maybe it'll only be $20 million. Maybe they'll get it down to $19 million. Maybe they'll go up to $25 million or 26 That's not really the point. The American people aren't upset about this because it's $23 million and not $22 million. They're upset yeah. about it because they're stealing health care from millions and millions of Americans 
in order to give a tax break to people that don't need it. That's not changing, and no one has suggested it's going to change, and that's why people should be and are outraged about this bill. Uh, how many Republican votes um, do they do they need, or from this list that you gave, uh, you know, how many can they afford to lose? So they have 52 uh, Republican senators. No Democrat is going to vote for this bill, uh, so they can only lose two. I think I gave you a list of. Uh, five names. There's a couple other conservative senators. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the ones that I, I didn't get them all because it's a Capito from uh, from West Virginia. Capito. Capito from West Capito from West Virginia. Ben Sass, Nebraska. Susan Collins, Maine. Uh, Rob Portman, Ohio. Dean Heller, Nevada. Jeff Flake, Arizona. Uh, do we miss an Oh, do you have Dean Heller? Uh, Heller. Heller. Heller from Nevada. Uh, no, I do have Heller. Oh, you do. Yeah. And then you have a few uh, conservatives uh, who are voting it because they're concerned that it doesn't take health care away from enough people. Oh, uh, yeah. I suspect that calling them will not be yeah. as productive for folks. Right. Um, but but those, those, are, those are six names at any rate. Yeah, those what about are, Murkowski? Where's Murkowski? Oh, yes, Murkowski. Oh, Murkowski. Was, I knew there was one Jamie missing. Right. With the tip yeah. in there. Um, yes. So these are folks that have at least evidenced some concern about stripping health care away from their own constituents, about blowing up the market about causing tremendous amounts of, of pain and suffering. Shockingly, the rest of the Republicans seem to be okay with it or professing to not yet understand the bill. But again, they know the general contours. Nothing has changed. And they've been told that we're getting 80% of the House bill. And 80% of a terrible bill is terrible. But we had so many Republicans, several Republican senators at any rate, like I think Bob Corker and John McCain would fit into that category, who have said, who have complained about the fact that it's all being done and kept in the dark. They haven't seen the bill. Nobody's read the bill. But they've indicated they're going to vote for it anyway. Well, that's what's so funny. It's sort of like, I mean, woe is me. I'm a senator. What am I to do? Look, if you don't like the process, say you're not going to vote for a bill that comes up in this process regardless of the substance. And I guarantee you, they'll come back and and uh, and come up with a new process. Remember, Joe Lieberman was able to strip the public option from the original bill because he didn't like it. John McCain doesn't have enough juice to even get someone to show him a copy of it or a PowerPoint presentation. I mean, that's just, it's disingenuous for them to suggest it, and it's insulting to our intelligence. If they really care about it, they care about their constituents, they care about uh, actually thinking, considering this bill, figuring out what it's going to do to millions and millions of people that depend on health care for their lives, then ask them to slow down the process. As I said, there are 52 Republican votes in the Senate. They need 50. So every single senator carries huge weight. And so anybody that's telling you, I don't like the process, I don't like the process, but not doing anything about it, is supporting the bill and is supporting the process. You mentioned these organizations that they're not talking to. Um, are, what are they doing? Um, okay, you're asking all of us to make calls, but what are the hospital associations doing or what are the doctors doing or what are the nurses doing? You know, the, these organizations who know that this is going to um, really gut the quality of America's health care in this country and the access that people do have, particularly now, unparalleled access to good health care yeah. uh, and preventive, preventive care and are taking advantage of it and our and are, lives are being saved because of this. And th these are the people you know, who are responsible for our, for our system of healthcare. Are they out there pounding the halls and saying, don't, don't do this? Well, so I, obviously it depends a little bit. Uh, various parts of the health industry are involved to different extents. Um, everyone recognizes that it's terrible. I think some people have a little bit of a financial stake in ensuring that uh, they don't anger Republicans too much. The patients groups, those kinds of folks, they are going around, they're trying to talk to people, but, but the Republicans don't seem to want to listen to them. 
just sort of shocking if you think about it. You know, the American Heart Association. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like you'd think that you would want to know how it's going to, what mm-hmm. they think about the bill, how it's going to affect. I mean, so it's a shocking process. Um, I mean, it's not, it should be clear to anyone, this really isn't about healthcare at this point. Yeah. It's not about improving our system. It's not about helping people. Because if it was, you would run a process that would lead you to a bill that would do that. And you wouldn't have a bill that was focused on stripping health care from people in order to give tax breaks to folks that don't need it. I mean, again, that is the structure of this bill. What we're really talking about is the first down payment on a massive tax break paid for with your health care coverage, your family's health care coverage, your neighbor's health care coverage. And no one wants to no one on the Republican side wants to be straight with you and tell you that. But that's what's happening. Mm. Is there any way to um, keep track of uh, are you through the center? Do you get people to sign up? Meaning, do you have any idea uh, how many calls are coming in, or can you keep track of w- what kind of response you're getting? People signing up, saying, "Yeah, I'll make my calls," and here are the people that I called. So, uh, so I'm not on our uh, engagement team that kind of does the metrics. Obviously, we okay. can keep track of how many folks are engaging on social media. We can keep track of how many folks uh, are uh, signing up to show up someplace. In fact. We just uh, bust a bunch of West Virginians uh, up to talk to uh, uh, Capito about the bill. Um, and, you know, we don't know exactly how many people call uh, the line itself. Obviously, there's no way to track that. Um, yeah. But we do have a sense of how many people are, are following this issue, are reading our reports, are looking at the social media information that we're putting out uh, and that sort of thing. So how, how do people, like, sign up uh, just basically to get their instructions, to get their marching orders? Uh, what's the website? Uh, well, so uh, just Amer- uh, AmericanProgress.org. You can go to AmericanProgress.org. You can go to uh, uh, our sister site, the Cap Action Fund, uh, which also will have uh, information about that. Um, you can follow the the center or the uh, uh, action fund on uh, Twitter. Um, you, know, you can probably. Yeah. But so if they if they go there, they'll be. The, the, a clear link to the health care bill, right, the health care fund. They should be able to find stuff. You can also go to uh, Resistance Near Me, which uh, will give you uh, information about opportunities to get engaged uh, as well. Um, these should all be ways for folks to Yeah, uh, I was just wondering how to... where people, our viewers and listeners, can, can, can plug in, if you will. Mm-hmm. ResistanceNearMe.org? I believe okay. it is down I'll check it out. Yeah, we'll yeah. tweet it out at BP Show. We'll All right, good. Thank you, Peter. Um, and then, so they get their marching and they say, okay, here's what you got to do. You know, make these calls. Here are the people you ought to call. Uh, and then I was always wondering if they if, if they report back so you have any way of knowing, you know, what kind of pressure is going in. I mean, I think we have some sense about, uh, so we have a sense of the number of folks that are clicking through and that are uh, taking it. And obviously, sometimes folks will, that I've made my calls or respond in that way. Um, uh, but I think we're less focused on sort of calculating on the back end and more focused on yeah. getting people to engage on the front end. And right. that's what this is really about, is giving people the tools to have their voice be heard and to you know to let folks know that, that they're not going to accept this bill and that there's going to be a political price for doing something so terrible to millions of Americans. Yeah, I guess maybe one of the, uh, the first uh, calls is to hold some public hearings on this, right? I mean... I mean, it would be great. I mean, I think the obviously the first the call more would be light to show shed, us the bill. The more light you shed on this bill, yeah, uh, the 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 lesser the chances it's going to get passed, right? Because I think that yeah. I mean, I think that the point here is 
the more the time people have to look at the bill and explain the effects that it's going to have, and we have every reason to expect those effects to be horrible, otherwise they'd already be telling us about it, the more likely it is that, that people will realize. I mean, I think in some cases it may be uh, that folks understand that it will be bad, but don't understand just how bad it will be, just how terrible it will be. You know, so for example, there's been this uh, suggestion that there's going to be uh, $45 billion uh, in a fund for opioids. Um, and one of the people that that who came up with the uh, uh, study that that number is based on said, oh, no, 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 you've, you've read my research wrong. You're going to be, you know, hundred billions of dollars short. And that's the kind of thing that happens. So you have some staffer taking a look at something they don't fully understand and saying, oh, the number is $45 billion. No one's there to tell them, no, 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 you're reading this wrong and you're way short. And so that kind of stuff is going to happen across the board. You know, so you have these senators that are talking about how important the opioid crisis is. Well, this bill is going to be devastating, devastating for states' abilities to deal with that. It's going to have $800 billion in cuts to Medicaid. It's going to be cutting coverage from 23 million people. These, it's going to allow uh, states to have waivers of coverage for things like drug dependency, which is going to mean that folks that need that coverage could be paying thousands and thousands of dollars more for uh, coverage riders, supplemental coverage, basically. You know, so anyone who talks to any expert about uh, opioid addiction, about the opioid crisis, they'll tell you this bill is terrible and it's going to devastate communities. And yet you have Republicans who profess to care about it mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, I, I think we're getting to a good place. That suggests either they're being disingenuous or they don't fully understand just how terrible the bill is. The uh, New York Times, in fact, uh, above the fold this morning, uh, headline, Opioid Worries Divide GOP on Health Bill. Mm-hmm. Making making your point that uh, yeah I swear I swear I didn't read it that was just uh... <laughs> no just wanted to point that you're right yeah no you're right on target that is a uh, that 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 is a, a huge concern so um, st- step one um, stop this bill uh, or at least slow it down and get it into hearings if Democrats can't stop it can they slow it down I know that was part of the they were talking about a couple yeah of days I mean it's ago. it's Obviously, Democrats are, are demonstrating their concern with the process, trying to draw attention to the process now. And, and I think that's very important. I mean, one of the unfortunate things about this is by hiding this bill, it's made it harder for the press to engage with it. You know, members of the press tend to like to say, yeah. know, here's what the bill does. And, right. Yeah. You know, and so this sort of keeping things in the shadow. Now, remember, overall, we know what the bill does. Yeah. It's 80 percent of the House bill. And the, and the House bill is very straightforward. I mean, I think the the difficulty here is. The structure of the bill, by its very nature, is terrible. It's going to result in terrible result in terrible effects because the structure of the bill is take money away from people who need coverage in order to give money to people who don't need more money. That's the whole structure. And so, you know, any changes around the edges might affect a number here, a number there, but it's going to hurt millions and millions of people to give to give more money to folks that don't need it. That's the point of the bill. That's the structure, and that has not changed and will not change unless people <clears throat> call their senators and say, don't vote for this. Right. And there's no doubt, is there, that if this bill does pass the Senate, the idea, again, originally we heard, that the Senate might pass a bill that was so different from the House bill that they could never get together in conference. I mean, I, th- I think that whole theory is out the window right now. This Senate bill, th- it won't be hard to get the Senate bill and the House bill together if, they, if, if the Senate does pass this bill. And in whatever shape that is, it will go to President Trump, and he will sign it, right? Even though yesterday he's quoted again as saying, I want a bill with some heart in it, right? But that's, that House bill was too mean. Cruel and mean. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, if you want, I mean, first step would be maybe going to talk to the American Heart Association then, asking them how yeah. it's going to affect their folks. <laughs> yeah, right. Going to talk yeah. to the other patient groups, heart, asking I'm... how it's going to affect them. I mean, this, yes, basically at this point, we saw what happened in the House. Everyone said, this is a terrible bill. We can't possibly vote for it. Then they come back and they said, well, what if we make this bill even worse and hurt people with pre-existing conditions, hurt people with cancer, mm-hmm. make women pay more if, if uh, they're pregnant? And then suddenly folks said, oh, great, you've, you've <laughs> addressed my concerns. Let's go ahead and vote for it. I think we've seen time and time again on the House when they have a choice between uh, helping working class Americans and falling in line with the Trump agenda, they choose to fall in line with the Trump agenda, regardless of how much pain and suffering it's going to cause. So I wouldn't count in any way that the House is going to save people from a bill in the Senate. Remember, the Senate was supposed to save people from the bill in the exactly. House. Exactly. No, exactly. Right. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think that there's, there's much to be said there. I think the real key now is in the next week is for folks to make calls, to engage, to have their voices be heard. This is the moment. The moment where you know healthcare in this country lives or dies. Yeah, I guess that's why I was trying to. This is the. This is the. the, the, the this is so critical. This is the time. The one time to stop it, like right now. Mm-hmm. Because if it does get out of the Senate, House and the Senate are going to agree on conference. It's going to go to Trump's desk, and he'll sign it. Yes, I mean the way that I would put so it, I think you're going seen... to stop it. It's got to stop now, in the, and that's got to be in the next week. Yeah, all the more important to make these calls right and now. This is why, and you know, it's. It's incredibly sad. I think anyone who's read their local paper in the last weeks or months have probably seen an op-ed or letter to the editor, someone that says, without the Affordable Care Act, I'll die. I won't have the coverage I need to live. This is the week where that basically happens, where those folks are either going to live or die. And and your calls in can make all the difference. So I really can't encourage people enough to get engaged, to have your voice heard, to let senators know. Make that call, 202-224-3121. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, hey, folks, have a good day. We'll see you tomorrow. Press show. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.